Hey, homie. Hey, homie. I'm getting tired of dudes just getting over on the rasa. This is for the rasa, 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 rasa. This is the reality dysfunction. Hello, this is Reiner Delgado. I'm uh, here in Saginaw, Michigan. Maria Zavala Paredes. I am in Michigan. Francisco Lopez in the Inland Empire, Southern California. Carolina Sanchez, uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am also calling from the Inland Empire in Southern California. Carlos Hernandez coming from San Antonio. Juan Carlos Vega calling from San Juan, Puerto Rico. I'm lying. I'm in <laughs> <laughs> Alex Lozada, I'm calling from the East Coast between New York and New Jersey. Pantos are calling in from the southeast yeah. corner of Saginaw, Michigan. Cecilia Oliveto calling from Detroit, Michigan. Motown. Okay, in the house. All right, so today we're talking about the Democratic National Convention and its glaring lack of Latino representation. Would anybody like to stick the first knife in? <laughs> Other than AOC, who else was there? Other what? than AOC. Well, in a, in, a, in, in a speaker role or as just, you know, a speaker the role, dressing. yeah, speaker. Well, no, well, AOC is not a speaker, right? She's an elected official who had a particular role there. Oh. Who aside, right? So yeah. who aside from an election, like Michelle Obama, Michelle Obama, Joe Biden, right? You mean like, like those people that were pointing guns at all the protesters? Like, I'm just talking about Latino faces and Latino names. I only saw one, elected were, or not. There were a few. There were some representatives there, from around the U.S. There were three. But there was four. But yeah, there were there were a few. The governor. <laughs> there, was, there, was, there, was, there was a representative from Nevada. There was uh, the, the governor of New Mexico and AOC. Those are the three that, AOC, I, yeah. that I. No, there was that woman who told the story about her father her story. I believe she's from Arizona. Yeah. Oh. She's, she spoke. And she had a, she spoke really well. I hope she runs for office. How long is the convention event? Four days. Four days. Two more days left, right? And how many hours a day? Oh. Three. So, Three. you know, in six hours? Or two. Two uh, hours two. My, Yeah. Two hours. Correction, it's okay. nine, to 11, 9 to 11 Eastern. Okay. Yeah. So four yeah. It's tough, guys. They have stuff going on. Eight hours. Yeah, they have a published agenda. They have stuff going on all day. It's just that last portion that's televised. Like, they had their Latino caucus meeting yesterday, I think, in the morning. Are we we counting Eva Longoria? Eva Longoria, I was going to say, we can't forget her. Are we counting her? I mean, we should count her. I think we absolutely have to count her. We need to count all of us. I wouldn't even f- have finished watching the first night if it wasn't for Eva Longoria. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm just gonna say it and put it out there. I was, the rest of it was just like, was she the MC? Is that the role she was yeah, playing? Yeah, yeah, the MC? No. yeah. Well, I mean, in the thing, what she's interested. Doesn't Eva Longoria have a have a degree in Chicano studies? Yeah, that's what I was yeah. just about to say. Yeah. I mean, From that was the. Um, yeah. I sent you guys that uh, that picture of her. That's a page I ripped out of a from a People magazine one time. I was standing in the grocery line just looking through magazines and all of a sudden there's this 
big ass picture of Eva Longoria and across the top is like my favorite book is Occupied America by mm-hmm. Rodolfo Acuna. You know, it's about the history of Chicanos and it's really fascinating. That was just like, what the fuck? And so I bought that issue. Yes. Yeah, it was really cool. Well, I, was I, thought you were be, I thought you were going to be a real hero and just ripped it out of the magazine. <laughs> <laughs> just threw it at the people. I'm like, I'm not paying for that. Yeah, no, that's not what I did. It's damaged. Discount. <laughs> <laughs> So she's, I think she's really interesting. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Francisco. No, that's what I was going to say. I'll be honest. I did not catch that. I have not seen um, her participation in it. I haven't had the chance to go back and look at it. But I'm just wondering what her comments were, you know. She's always thrown some good stuff out there. Like, I know when she was at the last one, the last convention, like I had mentioned on the thread, she said that she actually threw out the, uh, we didn't cross the border, the border crossed us. And uh, I swear when it when I saw it, first of all, I screamed like, hell yeah. But I, I swear you could hear like a shush over the whole convention. <laughs> Maybe I just imagined it, but it sure sounded like all of a sudden, poof, you know. And hell, man, I don't care if they're liberal, white progressives or whatever. You, you say that kind of stuff, they don't like it. I mean, I don't care who they, that they hate it. Well, they think that other days aren't going to vote for them if they are if they are letting things like that being said. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. too much truth. Yeah, they only want to co-op movements and it's good for them. There you go. Yo. Yeah. So, talking about movements, we had uh, Theo Bernie on there, right? And um, I did listen to Theo Bernie on YouTube. And I have to say, I was disappointed, you know? I kind of thought he was trying to let me down easy, telling me, you know, Santa wasn't going to come this year, you know, but if I kept that sock out next year, Next year, he might be here. I, I don't know. I, honestly, I was disappointed. It, it seems like he gave up. Yeah, almost everything I saw was like about the moment right now and not anything about the future. It's like saving the United States now, which I like, you know, it is important. And what Donald Trump is doing is like seriously disturbing the fabric of our own democracy. Yeah. But with the DNC, fails to do time and time again is look forward and to see like okay what do we need to do not now but in the future and i think that also goes back to like the idea of latino representation because it's like okay so right now when we're not the majority minority we're gonna you know be sidelined and until we get to that point where it's right in their faces then they're gonna finally be like okay well now we need people and it's ridiculous that's interesting that you say that carolina because a lot, you're not the only person I've heard say that. Well, what about the future? We're the largest minority voting block right now, today. The future is not tomorrow. It's today. So what really pains me in watching all of this is that, I mean, who are the people that do just really basic data analysis for them? I mean, to not, I mean, gear things more towards the largest minority voting block. I mean, forget about 12 years from now. You know, two or three elections down the line. What about right now? I mean, who do they have working for them that's looking at this kind of stuff? It, it feels like whoever came up with that or whoever's thinking about that are the same people who told Hillary Clinton not to campaign in all these swing states that she lost. It just, it just, I mean, just from an analytical standpoint, it just blows my mind. I can't, I can't wrap my head around it. 
Yeah, and the same thing is like the young voters, right? So like my generation, the people who are turning 18 and have just turned 18 um, are the largest voting bloc. And like they have almost no social media presence, almost no ability to connect to young voters. And then we're doing we're in this moment of a huge movement that's been led by young people and they choose the VP nomination to be the one person that's a cop. You know, when we've all been like going up against the cops in the establishment, you know, that's the same thing. It's like, it made no sense to me. It was like, why would you do that? And almost all the discourse that I saw on Twitter, on Instagram, on Tumblr, even, it was like, why would they do this? This makes no sense. They're not doing anything to come to us. The only person that I've ever seen do anything to come to young folks is AOC. And it's because she's young and it's because she knows how to do it. I don't want to talk about negatively about Kamala Harris. I want to be really positive about her. I want to really support her as a woman, as a woman of color, as a woman with immigrant parents. That's what I want to focus on. And hopefully I, I am giving her the benefit of the doubt. I want to support her and I want, I want to believe that she's going to do the right thing by us, right? And again, like I am not a Bernie fan. I don't feel the burn, thankfully, you know, and <laughs> I, I loved Elizabeth Warren. That was who I was supporting. How long has Bernie Sanders been in the Senate? And just within the past eight years, that's when he started feeling his own burn. And I think maybe it's, you know, talk, we always talk about having that critical mass. And maybe at this point in time, it's a critical mass of of that young electorate that's coming up who's like that 25 or maybe 18 to 30, 18 to 35 that are really starting to mobilize, right? Because we've talked about it before, when you talk about the Black Lives Matter movement, that's that same age group. And, and I think it's just time that we begin to mobilize in that way within our own organizations that we belong to. And I think we suffer from we're waiting for somebody to do it for us and nobody, there's nobody and nobody's going to make us happy. You know, like we talk smack about all the time, right? Like he's not enough or he didn't do this or he didn't do that, right? We just need to get beyond that. And then we're like, well then what are we doing? What are we putting out there on social media in regards to what we need to be doing, right? Like I know we all must be getting the phone calls, the texts and the emails asking for, our contribution or financial contribution. And I'm going to vote Democrat. I'm going to vote for Biden Harris. But before I give my hard earned dollars, I want to know what the platform is saying about my community and the things that are important to me. So until you say something about immigration and our children in cages and, you know, hazard pay for for essential workers, then maybe we can talk about me contributing some of my hard earned dollars. I think that, well, there's a couple of things. One, I, I understand what you're saying, Alex, but Kamala Harris is a total cop and Joe Biden picked her because he loves cops. I mean, it's, there's, I mean, the man's total legislative history is about imprisoning people of color. I mean, like it's a, it's a large part of it, right? So I think that, you know, I also hope, and I really do hope that that she does all of the things that you're saying. I mean, but then again, that's the only position that regular people like us can be in, right? Is like that we just hope that they 
that they are really going to do this. I think that. Well, part, well just real and quick. And cabinet, we can't overlook his cabinet. Well, yeah, no, I I understand that, and I understand that the the president doesn't doesn't do all of those things themselves. But my my ultimate point was this: is that, um, and then I'll I'll be happy to relinquish the mic. Um, we're in this situation because we honestly believe that we have two choices: that we can either vote Republican or we can vote Democrat. That's why we're in the situation that we're in. And until as a community, we take responsibility. You know, it's like that Huey Newton quote I sent you guys the other day. They were saying that he was saying that if you're political, that means that for the things that you want, if you don't get them, that there are ramifications. If there are no ramifications for you being denied the things that you want, then you are non-political. We are non-political. There are 60 million of us in this country, and we are not a part of this discussion because we don't have a political presence in this election, really in, really in this country. And I think that part of what we have to figure out, and I think the only thing that really leads to this is this, we have to tell Republicans and Democrats to fuck off, that we can do this ourselves, and then we have to start doing it ourselves, like for real start doing it ourselves. You know, show them, we don't actually need you to, to make this happen. And I think that if we were to do that and we were to make a serious attempt at it, I, I think that there's a lot of people, not just um, not just Latinos in this country, who would join that effort. I, I don't know who founded the Democratic Party, per se. I doubt it was somebody with last name Rivera, you know. So what makes me feel, yeah, I, I, it was probably Smith or something. His first or last name was not Juan Rivera, you know. So... What that makes me feel is, you know, just, I don't have a TV at home, so everything I get from the internet, right? And I saw in the internet, you know, a lot of Latino actors complaining that none of them got nominated for an Emmy, and they were like, we're left out, Latinos continue to be left out. And it's kind of the same conversation that we're having with the Democratic and the Republican parties, right? Like, where are the Latino represented? How many Latinos spoke on the convention? So, and my answer to both the Emmys and the Democratic Party, they're not about Latinos. They don't really care. Whoever is running those shows, the Emmys and the Democratic Party, are not people that are representing us. So we don't really care. They don't really care about us and what we need and our representation. Tokenism continues to be the case. Think about Vanessa in the last podcast that she didn't receive much support, you know, herself for her local campaign because who cares? She's a Latina, you know, and I truly believe that that is the case. Why do we want representation in a party that really does not include us from the beginning? So while I do feel the need that we need to recreate other political options, including parties, what would that look like and such, I'm not sure because it should, shouldn't be aligned with racial divisions, right? But there's a reason why BET exists on TV. There's a reason why Univision and Telemundo exist. It's because they target our communities or target specific communities, unlike NBC and ABC. Oh my God, finally a Latino as the head of a show in NBC. Why we want that? 
why do we, because that's where their money is, that's where their power is, and same thing with this politics, I'm like, forget about these parties, we need to reinvent ourselves and the conversation, and engage in something different, but that looks like, okay, I'm going to drive my car to Puerto Rico, which is almost impossible, because you can't really drive over the ocean, so how would you, how would you envision something different outside of this political binary of demo, demo, democratic and you know republican party and establish something different i don't know and it's so Bring hard the... to go ahead, oh, go ahead. i was saying it's so hard to imagine that because that's that's the world we've all been living in that's that's our country's entire history is this two-party system when you can look within the democratic party and see essentially two parties that really you know two sides within one party that really don't don't work well together and you know, we've been we've been talking about tokenism and, and Kamala Harris as a V V P pick and I personally think it's kind of insulting and like very pandering to minority communities where it's just, you know, this certain age bracket votes, they're more likely to vote for for Kamala, they're minorities, so she's our pick. It was it's it's laughable. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think I'm sorry, man. Go ahead. Okay, thanks. I was gonna say, um, when we look at the Democratic Party chairperson it's Tom Pettis, a Latino. Yet we're all sitting here complaining about how we feel left out out of the conversation, right? We're we're another character straight out of the outsiders, right? And what does that say right away that the party puts Pettis, aka Pettis, you know, in such a position, but yeah, when it comes time to deliver on the goods, there's nothing being delivered, right? And then the other thing, going back to Juan Carlos II point about Univision and Telemundo, I haven't checked, but I was wondering, have they been covering the the convention every night? I don't know. I don't know if anybody in here knows that question. But I was trying to look that up, and it seems to me like they're just going to cover tomorrow night. But I may be wrong. I'm not sure if they're televising it. But, you know, I have to say, Univision, I think I sent it, I sent it to somebody here on the podcast, but they're doing... Facebook Live events with like Julian Castro and other people who are trying to push for representation of our communities on there. Um, I don't watch Univision or Telemundo or any of the other ones, but I don't know. But I do know that they're active on social media. And, you know, as Juan Carlos was talking about, you know, he gets his information off of the internet. And if we're not, right, if our stories and our narratives, and I know that there are people out there pushing our story, pushing our narrative, but if they're not picked up by any of the big networks or it doesn't go viral, like our story's not being told, nobody cares. And and I think it's like, there's that one organization I keep talking about, and I feel like they're staging a coup of the Democratic Party, and I want to be part of that coup, taking it over. What's the name of that organization again? Is yeah. it Justice Democrats? Yeah, it's the Justice Democrats, right? And if you see the people that they're pushing across the country, it's really, it, it's other people just like AOC, right? And they're creating this party of AOC-type candidates. And so I, I think they're doing some really great stuff and and helping to mobilize their voice as well as important to see what others are doing, right, to, for more representation. See, I think that that's, I, I also think that that's super important. I think it's super important 
that we have people inside of the Democratic Party who are pushing to, you know, change the, the reaction. I think it's important that we have people outside of the Democratic Party who are working in third in third parties, you know, um, like the DSA and um, there's some other ones whose names immediately escape me right this second. But like I've been meeting with a group of people for the last couple of months who are um, getting the Rasunita party started back up, you know, and we've been having, uh, you know, study groups and looking through the bylaws. I mean, like really thinking about how it is that we launch this. And, and, you know, I, I've had the conversation with a couple of people and they're like, oh, you know, you're wasting your time, blah, blah, blah. But like, I mean, wasting it more than being an uh, activist for the Democratic Party for the last uh, 34 years. I mean, what is what has that gotten me? <laughs> I mean, it hasn't gotten me anything, you know. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think waste of time is, is kind of an interesting, an interesting viewpoint. Because basically their idea is, is, is if you can't win this election, then it's always a waste of time. But I don't think it's ever a waste of time to organize in your community and to educate people and to teach or engage in power building with the community. That's not a waste of time. And so, you know, but I think what's really important as like individuals like ourselves, like we're having these conversations, right? You know, that as Alex becomes more involved or maybe Alex gets her wish to really be a part of this justice Democrats, that yeah. we're able to take these, um, these different positions, or as the kids like to say, these intersecting positions, right? These positions of intersectionality and, and say, okay, this is, this is where we're at, right? We have people who are working with Rasumita. We have people who are working with uh, Democrats for a social, uh, DSA, um, you know, the party for socialism and liberation, right? How do we transcend these artificial silos that have been put up by mainly white people, right? And say, okay, we're going to figure out a way to work all of these parties for the benefit of our community. I think that as a society, we have a hard time moving away from what's already pre-established, established, and what we always knew about, right? The, the two-party system. Like, a third option seems like, what are you talking about, right? How would that look like? And in, in terms of, for me, for justice, for Democrats, until I don't see them being called Justicia Democratica in Spanish, I think it's just another failed attempt at trying to get this do going. I could be wrong. I don't know enough about it. But I'm thinking of the current politics in the island of Puerto Rico right now, where even though there's a, a, a three-party system, one is looks for the statehood, the other one looks to remain the status quo, and the other one looks for the independence of the island. Only two of them are the ones that have truly been in power, and that's the one that wants the statehood and the one that wants to keep the status quo. And right now, the, the, the elections are going to be just like here at the beginning of November, and there's a third party coming up. It's called Victoria Ciudadana, citizen, citizen Victory. And they are bringing a completely different perspective. They're actually working. They're, they, they're saying because of the failure of the past two, you know, uh, 
parties that have run the island for decades now, now we need a different alternative. And, you know, depending on which poll you listen to, they may be, you know, winning or they may not be, right? Like Trump and Biden. But I think that there's something to watch there and see if Victoria Ciudadana actually, I don't think they'll win the governorship, but I think they'll win seats in the Senate. I think they may win the being mayor of San Juan, which is the capital, and that's key. So there are, you know, it would be interesting to see how this party, which is just people that are just coming together. These are not rich people deciding what a party should look like. These are people from the ground. Their their platform is based on community meetings. I mean, I don't know how much the, the content of the meetings was transferring to the actual policy recommendations, but it seems that it, that's the way. And it would be very interesting to see how that works in Puerto Rico in terms of a third party coming in and, and doing something because, yeah, it, it looks like if you don't win, then, then what's the purpose? But then you can say, then why do we organize? We organize because we may win something, but we may not. But that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of value behind it. So, yeah, I'll be paying attention to those elections back home and see, <coughs> you know, if a third brand new party with a different perspective, not accepting political donations, you know, staying away from the standard ways of doing party work, party, party campaign, how that, that looks like and what that looks like and how it works. It would be interesting to see. We can talk about third party systems like all we want, but we have a, you know, our electoral system in itself is, is kind of what keeps us in this two-party system. Um, and, you know, this the winner take all and then having nightmares like we did in, in 2016 where someone who, who had the popular vote isn't isn't our isn't our president right now. I I think one thing though I think um, now more than any time that I can remember, the discussion about alternatives to the two party are taking place, and I think I think now more than any time I've been around, it's actually the groundwork can be built for it. I think people, uh, just people in general. But I, and I think definitely younger people uh, are recognizing that the two-party system, it, it's not working. It's not working. And I think that some of us maybe who are a little older and definitely older than us, Democrat and all, it was kind of like the identity. It was like my old man voted for, for Democrat. You know, I don't think that uh, this some of the younger generations have that, um, that blindness. I think they're willing to maybe break and start forming alternatives. And I think the rest of us are kind of beginning, the light bulbs beginning to turn on and be like, uh, this two-party system, it's not working. It does, it's not working at all. You want to see Democrats and Republicans get united about something? Look how they will conspire about against third parties and an alternate. <laughs> I don't think I mean, very people, like young people like my age, um, like identify with a specific party, even if they are right. like conservative or liberal. I know when I was poll grading for this last election in Saginaw, yeah, I was I was poll grading for for the Carly Hammond campaign, and people would be like, "Is she a Democrat? Okay, I'll vote for her." And it was mostly older older people. I'm like, "Oh, that's not how it works. You should like want to know what her policy stances are." But it really it really is name recognition. Plus it's, or party plus it's a primary. 
Yeah. It's a primary. There's yeah, a exactly. <laughs> I'm like, they're all Democrats. You know, I agree with kind of what everybody's saying about the two-party system. We need to build up our own um, party. But I feel like sometimes when we talk about this, we make the assumption that that's going to be better. I mean, it's not necessarily something that I would assume. I wouldn't look at it as forming a party as much as I would forming an agenda. I mean, just because you have more than two parties doesn't make mean it's automatically going to be better for us. You know, and then that that doesn't conflict with the fact that it's not working the way it is now. So I think that also you can't deviate from the from from what's there now. So I remember when uh, people were calling uh, Ocasio and she came up with the terminology of a democratic socialist, right? Uh, and uh, people really um, older uh, older voters to kind of generate it to that socialist component of it. So I don't know if we if how, what what the happy medium would be, you know, to build ideology within these parties as a subsection of the Democratic Party, so that people can feel somewhat familiar to what's happening. Or should we go the far extreme and build a third party, right? Um, or a fourth party, because there's been third parties for a long time, the Green Party, the Socialist Party, right? All these other parties, they're out there. They, they, you still can vote for them, right? They're on the ticket. Um, but uh, it's not familiar enough. It's too extreme for certain individuals that, like Todd was saying, we, we want to bring in these masses, right, of, of people that are out there. But do they share the same ideology, right? Um, and I still can remember college years where people are like, well, I'm, I'm not Chicano. I, I'm not going to those Mecha meetings because I'm Puerto Rican or I'm Colombian or I'm whatever, right? But we're oppressed people. I mean, we, we're people that have, you know, similar ideology. So what's the problem? You know, I don't want to be called Chispa. I don't want to be called Mecha. Um, so the, I think for, for me, it's trying to wrap my head around what is going to solidify the masses and, um, create uh, the change? Would, would it be a, a third party that has common ideology, common platforms? Who knows, right? But that's kind of one of the challenges that I see the, the Raza Unida party encountering is how do we bring in people uh, like Alex and people like Juan Carlos that, you know, that share this platform with us on a weekly basis to say, you know, these are the, this is the party I want to join. This is the ideology I want to join. I don't know. So those are some challenges I I can't wrap my head around. And yeah, it may I be think... that I was gonna say it may be that the underlying factor is money, isn't it? That's what's gonna give you the voice, the money. It's about those packs, right? Um that's why we don't know what the platform or who the candidates are for the Green Party and for some of those other outside parties is because they do not have the funding to go for it. Even when we look at local elections, it comes down to who is backing you up? Where's the, show me the green, right? Show me the money. I guess yes and no. Like, a lot of times you'll see, especially in this last election that we had, um, primary and Saginaw, like, there are an older, you know, group of people who care about um, who is backing a client. What is, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, endorsing. Like, who, in your endorsements. People my age could, could give two Fs about an endorsement. Yeah, I totally agree. And like going back to what Maria said too, it's so, at least for my generation and going back to like the idea of like socialist and like this fear of socialism and communism and, you know, our 
United States history with fighting against, you know, other ideologies that aren't capitalism. Like, I'm growing up in a generation surrounded by people where it's like, okay, so we've obviously seen that capitalism doesn't work. So let's try other things. And we don't have this, this fear of um, othering ideologies because we didn't grow up with any of those fears of, you know, of US, the USSR bombing us or Cuba taking over. And um, we've kind of looked towards that history and seen, especially with Cuba and especially with Latinx folks that I've surrounded myself with. It's like, okay, so Che Guevara, um, Castro, like these are people that we look towards to, to figure out a new system because the system that we have isn't working for us. Like the power structures, the money, the politics, none of that stuff is, is working for us, is working in any way for us. And so when we can see people like ourselves, like Che Guevara, like um, Castro, like, oh, I can't remember the people in Chile, but like the, the socialist uprising in Chile, like the people's movements, you know, that's what we're looking towards. And I think, you know, part of what Raza Unida has to to look towards in, you know, bringing young people, because we, we are the largest voting bloc together, is looking towards those movements and those people and seeing like, okay, so if we can take this from people that look like us, not only from Chicanos, but from outside, from, you know, a, a world point of view, um, then how can we move that forward to bring, you know, the diversity of Latinos together and to, to go forward? So when I think about what our issues are and our priorities as a community, really, I think about our agenda and what is the one platform that is going to best serve us to push forward our agenda. Is that a third party? Is that a pack, right? The Latino pack, the brown pack, whatever we want to call it, right? I mean, that's how Obama got elected, right? They all yeah, powerful. I think black. it's going to be the chakra pack, right? Whatever upper, pack the chocolate is, right? Yeah, the, the chocolate pack, right? Like, that's how Obama was elected, right? It was a group of chocolate very wealthy yeah. African Americans hanging out in Martha's Vineyard, coming together. And, like, and right here, this can be the symbol. And I think we need to think about that. And, you know, to Maria's point, you know, and how how do you as Raza Unida, right, as this new party, how do you bring in people from the East Coast outside of the West Coast, out of the Southwest, who have the same priorities, who have the same concerns as a community? We all look alike pretty much, right? I mean great, some of us are nice. better looking than others. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and that's a good point. And I think that some of the organizations like but it's something to say to that. And United We Stand. Um, I think those are great examples of how you bring the coalitions from all parts of the country yeah. together. And for me, that's always been one of my hopes is that some of these uh, immigrant, you know, undocumented young organizations are able to blossom into more, right? Are able to grow and uh, Fill in those uh those gaps, right? Yeah. But I think what you what you mentioned is important, and because I've thought about it, and so what every the Latino community, the so 
called Latino community, we have very common interests that are really common to everybody. Yeah. We have some that are common, uh, specific to our Latino communities. And then within the Latino communities, there are specific issues to that particular community. So let's say for Central Americanos and Mexicanos, immigration is a huge one, let's, let's say. And at the same time, we can overlook at Puerto Ricanos and we can say the issue of statehood or independence, right? And then um, we can look, all of, our, all of our communities have concerns as far as foreign policy towards Latin America. So those are all common points, right? We can say, look, here's the platform of our party that addresses the Mexican committee, you know, Mexican Central Americana. What are you doing about immigration? What are you doing about bilingual education? What are you doing about funding the school? Now with Puerto Rico, what are you doing as far as addressing the statehood independence? We want none of this bullshit uh, sitting on the fence. What's it going to be, you know, for president in Puerto Rico, but they can vote for president in the main particular issues. And if we were to come together as a party, we could each address those issues yeah. as well as the whole common issues that affect all of us. Yeah. Well, you know, what's also really interesting too, Alex, and you, I know that you and I, have, we've had this conversation before, but, you know, growing up in Michigan, um, I feel like culturally I'm much more connected to Latinos who are on the East Coast than Latinos that are on the West Coast. I have had some very serious, just mind-blowing incidences with uh, particularly Chicanos from California. I'm just like, I do not understand you at all. And um, <laughs> it's... uh. Texas, I get a little bit more because, you know, mostly everybody that's from the Midwest at some point originated in Texas. So I kind of get that. But even like when I sometimes when I get down in Texas, I'm like, yeah, you all, I don't understand this either. You know, so I I get that. I do. I think that part of what it is, is that, um, no, it's just what Carlos just said. I mean, we because it, because it's a party or because we're thinking about it that way, I mean, we have to. We, we have to be willing to put aside the like the micro level of it and say, okay, this is these are the things that we that we have to work on, right? We have to work on the prison to the school to prison pipeline, right? We have to work on yes. independence for Puerto Rico. Well, or we have to work on uh, independence. Independence. Okay, independence. <laughs> In this podcast, it's independence. In this podcast. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, I was going to say self-determination, but okay, independence, right? Or we need to work on, you know, eliminating the Monroe Doctrine and the Roosevelt Corollaries, right? That say yeah. that the United States has the right to in, to uh, interfere in any country in, you know, in this hemisphere. I mean, those are positions that we could take, you know, um, as a party, but that would also, you know, impact us and education and jobs and, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. I, I always think it's interesting and I don't think that it's any surprise that this podcast and the things that we talk about are, you know, has uh, come up primarily from uh, Chicanos in the Midwest. I, I just don't. I think that we, by our very nature and geographic location, are forced into um, a political awareness that just, um, you know, helps us to see things a little bit differently than people yeah. from areas that are just overwhelmed. 
I don't know if I necessarily agree with your statement. Mm, it's okay. Um, but I do think, I do think as an other within a marginalized community, it gives you a very different perspective of what's happening, right? And I, I think it's, and I think if we're going to create something, words matter and what you call us really matters. So, you know, as they say, say her name, if you don't say my name, if you don't say where I'm from, then you're not, you're not really interested in bringing me along or bringing me to the table. Words right? And that's how I, that's how I feel. So yeah. if we're going to do something, if you're going to do something, yeah. right, then you need to make it explicit that it's about all of us, that it's not about you. Right. And I know, I understand you all are the majority, right? You're what, 50%, 40% of the Latino community within the United States. I get it. It's more like 80. Yeah, I was going to say. It really is. I mean, I'm not trying to be funny, but it's more like 80. Yeah. Right. But if, but I don't know if that's the same on the East Coast. Like the East Coast experience is very different, right? Here in the East Coast, a few years ago, nobody knew or understood what Chicano meant, right? The experience here on the East Coast is a much more Caribbean nation thing, right? It's, it's a lot of, um, black people from, the Caribbean countries, it's mm-hmm. Puerto Rican, it's Dominican, like that's the the sense here, right? Mm-hmm. And once you pass like a certain point, then it becomes much more Chicano, but it's not here, right? And, and I feel like that's one of the main reasons that I live on the East Coast. It's a much more inclusive Latino community on the East Coast than in the Southwest, on the West Coast, in the Midwest. I don't disagree with that. Well, I also wanted to, Talk about the end game, right? So we're sitting here talking about, or we started talking about the DNC, but in running a third party, why would we want to build a party that runs on the, this platform? Because the end game is to, uh, you know, uh, control the United States, rule over the United States. But that's not really our desire. Our desire is to create our own or create our own independent nation within this 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 system that we're living in um, or is it our intent to overtake and control the United States right um, because once you become that third party and run in this election then once you win you have to uphold the things that you know these Monroe doctrines this this uh, all these documents that rule that that you know so what is the end game for us right so that's another thing words matter but also goal matters right where is the goal of where are we going here because believe me once well i maybe you don't believe me because i've never been there but if you're the president of the united states you have to uphold that system and if we're talking about running this third party that party's going to win it's going to be co-opted by our the own system that's in place so what is our end game right our our is our end game to create uh you know Estados Libres de Estados Unidos. What is it? What what are we looking towards? And and I think that once we have more of that focus, um, then we can gear um, all these parties, right? The that we've been talking about, the Victoria Ciudadanos, the Justicia Democrats, the Raza Unida Party can correlate and come together based on building this completely different nation within this system because I don't know what it's going to take to topple it, right? Um, and there are people that look just like me, that have incomes just like me, um, that 
want to perpetuate that system and want to continue mm-hmm. to vote in that system, um, even though it's in their it's not in their best interest. I don't care if that person wants to continue to do that and not buy into my ideology, but I want to build my ideology. I want to build my pueblo up. I want to build my country up. But that has to exist within this larger um, system before it gets toppled. You know, I don't. Yeah, I like a lot of conversations I'm having or I'm seeing is centered around decolonizing the United States. You know, there's old saying of like the sun never sets on the the British Empire. And that's very true to the United States now. Like the sun never sets. There's um, what is it called? Uh, military bases in Guam, in Samoa, in Iraq, in France. And, you know, we have this idea. And so a lot of the you know, a lot of my own perspective is like, before we can do anything, the conversation we should be having specifically with white people is the fact that like the United States has always been racist. We have to look at our own history and realize that the United States, like I had an Asian American professor last year tell me that like the United States own Bill of Rights wasn't made in tandem with the Magna Carta and like, you know, the French ideas of liberty, but with the exact opposite ideas of the rights taken away from black slaves. And so every right that was taken away from black slaves was given then to white men. And we have to realize that that is our past. And before we can like build a party and continue to perpetrate the colonial ideas that the United States has built itself on, which you were saying, Maria, like we have to realize our own liberty our own freedom and what it means to fight for that and i think you know white people and some latinos you know i've had conversations with older latinos um i don't want to say mean any offense but like chicano stores um which is like you know we they want to perpetrate to some extent um (laughs) (laughs) to some extent the same colonial power that oppressed them because they've now got this idea and this form of power within the United States. You know, they've built themselves up, pulled themselves up by the bootstraps. And now that they have power, they want to take that power away from folks that are just coming up. And I think that's very, that's a part of our own community because we've been here so long and because we have such disparities between recent immigrants and um, people who have been here for generations and generations. And like, you know, my own goal is like liberty. It's decolonializing, you know, into realizing that like these Spanish settlements, these missions that we have here in California, that that, you know, is a part of our own history, but should be land given back to native folks, you know? And so I guess like my whole thing is like just decolonize the United States because it is an empire. And when, and when they act like that, what they're actually really doing is revealing their own betrayal of the revolution that they participated in or that they they thought that they were conducting so it's um yeah, yeah. But we sound crazy when we say that we sound crazy when we say let's decolonize the u.s and from what for what like we sound crazy when we say that so uh, what how do we switch that right In aoc to- said it aoc said it the other night well i think that and this would be this would be an interesting topic for another podcast maybe a couple of them because uh what i will say as as a person who has spent a lot of time 
studying this notion of decolonization is that um, it is a word that is being used fast and loose these days. And, yeah. that, you know, and that the kind of decolonization that we're talking about is very specific and it's very historical and it usually ends with a lot of bloodshed. And so, you know, I mean, those are, I think those are things like everybody's like, oh, we're going to decolonize our diet and we're going to decolonize the post office. And you know what I'm saying? And it's just like, that's not what that means, you know? So I think, um, but, but to your point though, Carolina, that's, I, I mean, it's true. I have conversations with individuals who are, you know, my age and older, and it's just very clear that they do not, um, understand the situation that we are in right now and that they think it's, you know, 50 years ago and, you know, they can just say whatever they want to and they can just act any old way that they want to and, you know, without repercussions. And it's embarrassing um, and it's a little disturbing. Uh, People still believe in the American dream. Well, that's that's it right there. Part of it. Ben and Karen are, right? (laughs) (laughs) Carolina, did you say Chicanosaurs like dinosaurs? You haven't heard that one. You no. haven't heard that one, uh, Maria. Oh, it's new. It's new to me. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like a. So I'm part of El Congreso, which was originally Mecha from UCSB, and then changed its name because we wanted to be more inclusive of like not just like Mexicanos, but everyone. Um, and we've had some folks come in that just are very, very serious about like not only like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, but like also stuff that worked for them that doesn't work for us now. Like affirmative action isn't in place in California. And so they have this idea of like, you know, just getting through affirmative action. It's like, well, it's not oh, that Lord. simple. I just hate um, that phrase in general. Which one? Yeah. Pull up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. So I was like, like, so there's a lot of obviously Chicanos and, you know, Midwest. It's like the majority in the Midwest. So I know in my community back home for sure, there's an individual who approached me who wanted to do a, who wanted me to moderate a, a Brown Lives Matter um, forum. And I was like, this is not something I can get behind. Like, like, like you said, like words matter. And like, just their messaging behind it was all, was all wrong. I was like, so to the point, like, you know, we want that inclusivity within like the Latino, like, all within the U.S., but but it comes, it's, it's it's like a slippery slope where I'm just like, I'm not gonna do this. It devalidates a whole movement and so many Chicano stores. <laughs> they just, they just they just don't understand. I know within my own family, um, I'm kind of outcasted right now just because of of my position with Black Lives Matter and and them not not grasping that. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because. Um, what you just said, like, made me think about how we're we're working so hard at trying to be relevant in so many different ways, politically, economically, right, and educationally, right, in all these different arenas. And how is it going to be the best way for us to be able to do that? And the the mass messaging that's coming. Somebody said it earlier today. It's on this binary system, right? It's they're talking about black and white. And we don't fit yeah. into that game at all. And so how do we push ourselves to make it a not black white conversation? Because that is just not it may be relevant for the next year, 
But after that, like, what's the reckoning that's going to happen between our communities when it's not a black-white game anymore, right? This is going to be a black and brown game. So what's going to happen in terms of that reckoning right now, racially, economically, that's going to come in a, in a year or two? Well, I, I think, like Danny said earlier, when he was talking about how the future is now, you know, like they're saying, like, what are we going to do? I, I think that that actually, that moment has arrived too. Um, I was, because one, in preparation for this call, one of the things I did was look up what the, the peak population for African-Americans were in the United States. And, and they're actually, it's right now at 40 million. Um, and, you know, we're at 60 million and our, our number is going to keep going up. I mean, that's, that's the projection based on like the age of the population and all this other kind of stuff. So those, those moments are, are at hand. I think that, um, I mean, I think it's important for us to think through how it is that we relate to other communities. But I, I think that before we can even really have that as a serious conversation, I mean, we have to figure out how we're relating to each other. Um, because that's really the, I think that's, that's important. I mean, there's a really good book called Black Power. It was written by, um, Stokely Carmichael. And the third chapter of that book is all about um, building coalitions. And basically what, uh, um, that wasn't Stokely Carmichael, I apologize, it's Kwame Ture. Um, but basically what Ture is saying in that, in that chapter is that um, you cannot enter into a coalition with a group of people who are more powerful or more organized than you are because um, they will take over that coalition. It's not, it's not a coalition and it's not a partnership. It is a um, subservient relationship. So even though there's 60 million of us, um, as we have said many times before on this podcast, and I think it's just obvious, uh, the black community is way more organized than we are politically, yeah. way more organized. And, um, you know, I mean, if we really want to, uh, you know, if we want to be a part of the conversation, even if it's not to be a part of the conversation to how we can necessarily make the United States a better place, but how we can have something that belongs to us personally, um, then we have to get politically organized, which I think is what this whole conversation is about, starting with the DNC. And, but is and the black the community uh, organized to support the current status quo, or are they organized better than us politically to overthrow that 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 status quo? I don't I don't know that being politically uh, better organized than we are uh, is like we were talking about good and bad, right? Is that such a good thing? Because they're politically organized to follow the status quo to keep the system in place the way it's it has been established, right? Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, I think that that's a good point, Todd. But um, just because you're organized doesn't mean that you're organized in the way that um, the right reasons that doesn't support that, right? And yeah. just another thing, Carolina, it's really refreshing to to hear the word, uh, uh, you know, decolonize. Um, from such a young person as yourself, because I think that we, we are not, uh, that's one of the things that, um, that we've always done in any other groups that I've worked, that I've worked with is study groups, right. And, and to learn about that decolonizing and those terminologies that are important and significant to start changing thought processes, to start changing, to move away from that, that colonizer, uh, system and like Todd said, not just in your diet, not just in, you know, yeah. brujeria or anything like that, right? Or going back to our roots, but also... Colonizing brujeria, I like that. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
but yeah, I don't know. I don't know that that uh, again that that it's such a great thing to be organized, but you could be organized uh, as a as a criminal entity, and and not that's not good. <laughs> but you're organized, right? Yeah, you know, I, don't the, know. I was just gonna say that the black community was organized because they got a lot of money and they know how to wield it. They got packs going on. Right. They have at all levels of government, they have people involved. Right. And and this new generation, I'm just going to call it the Black Lives Matter generation, is overthrowing the older statesmen. Right. And we've seen it in a few races, political races that have happened locally. Um, and I'm sure many of you have seen it in your own backyards happening. And and they're able to mobilize together because they do have a few things in place, and one of them is that economic power. Like they were able to make their own TV station, right? BET, and that's where a lot of their money comes from, right? Is they're able to get the endorsements and the sponsorships that it's not just the name, it's the money that comes behind it, right? When you think about a political, uh, an athlete, right? They get a salary, but they make way much more money off of the endorsements than of their actual salary. So the endorsements matter, the sponsorships matter. Yeah. And Univision is probably with pendejos con Trump or Latinos for Trump. So we're messed up there. We got to find something else. Hey, that's all we have for today. My name is Maria Zavala Paredes. And on behalf of the Dysfunctionals, we want to thank you um, all for listening today. Be sure to leave a comment on our podcast site. Just search for The Reality Dysfunction on Podbean or like us on our Reality Dysfunction Facebook page. Best of all, share this episode. It is literally the gift that keeps on giving. This is the reality dysfunction.